Charles. Cheers. 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 Yep, that's us. That's just a taste of what you're in for. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast miniseries, Drunken Marketing. We're here to drink some wine and share ridiculously hilarious and real marketing experiences with you. We're all part of a B2B marketing team and work together at our nine to five. Sometimes working in marketing can be funny, annoying, or just straight up weird. Our team is going to give you a behind the scenes look at marketing while sharing hilarious stories and situations that we found ourselves in. Let's be real. Some of these stories may not have been funny at the time, but in hindsight, they make us laugh and we've grown to become better marketers because of them. So grab a glass of wine and join us as we tell you the lessons we've learned the hard and funny way. You're listening to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards, but today's episode is going to look a little different. It is a holiday edition, and we have our new friend, Sandy Michelle, from the Wines to Find podcast, joining us for what we're calling Sparkling Wine for Dummies. We'll be doing a virtual wine tasting where we drink and ask experts all about the sparkling wine. But before we dive in, I'm going to kick it over to the Wines to Find team so they can introduce themselves and share what wine we're drinking today. You can follow Wines to Find on Instagram at Wines to Find Podcast and find their episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Ms. Michelle and anybody who's familiar, but for those of you who aren't familiar with Wines to Find, um, we always introduce the wines first. So I'm going to start with the wines. We have a Freshenet. We have the Freshenet Prosecco, which if you're looking for a fun holiday bottle, it is a beautiful, gorgeous bottle. It sparkles like diamonds. It does. It's very diamondy looking. And we have the Freshenet Brut Cava. um, And this is a a black bottle. It's kind of sleek and cool looking. So we thought it would be fun to feature a couple of Prosecco and a Cava. So that's why we recommended those. And on our show, we always taste two bottles of wine that we have never tasted before. So these are new to us. We've never tried them. We're happy to be sharing them for the first time with you guys. Right. And this is Sandy, the co-host of Wines Defined. Michelle and I are sisters, and we decided to do a podcast a- along our both of our interests, which is wine. Um, we decided to choose these two wines for this evening because they are easily accessible at Kroger, so that that way anybody can go into most of their um, supermarkets and be able to find either of one of these, and they were both under $20. Right, and we're from South Carolina, and you guys are you know quite far away from us, and we wanted to make sure that we chose something that, that pretty much nationwide could mm-hmm. be accessible. I have a silly question. Do you guys have Kroger in South Carolina? We do. Good. Yes, that's that's actually where we purchase these from. Perfect. And then I was thinking for our listeners, we should probably spell it for them because I didn't know how to say this wine. Freshenet is not what I was going to go with. So I'm so glad you guys kicked it off and told us how to correctly pronounce it. Um, it's F-R-E-I-X-E-N-E-T. It looks yes. very French to me. It's actually, I believe, Spanish. Oh, JK. <laughs> Got that wrong. Sorry. That's okay. We're going to try the Prosecco first. Prosecco is an Italian sparkling wine, and it is done, it is fermented in a large tank. So the fermentation process is different than um, a champagne. All sparkling wines, it's the overarching name is just sparkling wines encompasses all of them. Then you have Champagne, which is from the region in France, only only um, from that 
from France in Champagne can be called Champagne. Then you have Prosecco, which is from Italy. Then you also have Cava, which is from Spain. So that's why you have the differences. Um, the one in Spain, cava, is actually produced and fermented in the same traditional method as um, champagne is. That's it's that traditional, it's a double fermented in the, in the bottle, whereas a Prosecco has larger bottles and it's fermented in a tank. And that, that traditional champagne method is known as... Um, method champenoise and so when you might see that on a label and then you would know that it is um that that traditional fermented in the bottle style and that that tends to add some age to it some time and some, some right sparkling wines can be aged if it's done in the traditional champagne style and a lot of american wines are done in that traditional champagne style too yeah but what we do when we have a new wine to us is we look at it and we talk about what it looks like. And this is um, the one thing that you might notice in champ if you like a sparkling wine, if you love sparkling wine, one of the um, keys to look at is the the rapidity with which the bubbles, um, you know, kind of soar to the surface and what size those bubbles are. The um, those are those are indicators of how fine the um, the quality, the quality and the craftsmanship. So anyway, so we would look at the bubbles and they're going up the center. They're very small. Um, Which is atypical for a Prosecco. Prosecco mm -hmm. generally has a little bit larger bubbles than these. So mm -hmm. I'm already going, oh, it's already starting to intrigue me just from the visual bubbles that are coming up. But let's taste it and see mm -hmm. what it tastes like. Katie's got a lot of bubbles going on hers. Mm. It's sweet. Ooh. It is a little sweet. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of bubbles going on over here. I got mm -hmm. done putting my four month old to bed for the night. So obviously he thought I needed a very heavy pour. <laughs> <laughs> cheers to that. He's asleep. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> we had like an overarching sparkling wine questions. I think because we're a little more new to that realm. I think some of us are more of like the dark reds and then we kind of stick with that, but we haven't really learned much about sparkling. So what makes a wine sparkling you're saying the different regions but it also is it like the carbonation is it the types of grapes that kind of thing so it's the fermentation process that we just described okay. so it can be fermented again in um, tanks which is the prosecco style um, or it can be fermented um, in that a double fermentation basically which is the more traditional way to do it so it's fermented in a tank and then it's inserted into the or containers. barrels and barrels. then it goes into the bottles and then there's an entire process in which um, this is for the traditional champagne method once it's in bottles then you turn it a quarter turn every so often as it ages and it and it can age anywhere from six months to up to two two and a half years in bottle then you also have to it's called degorging where the dead yeast cells are down at the cork where they settle then you they pop they actually open open up the wine bottle take those dead yeast cells out. And then sometimes they may even put some extra sugar in there. It kind of depends on what the winemaker wants to do. But most of the time, it's just, it depends on what, what style they are and yeah. what exactly how they want it, how they want to do it. Um, so once it's degorged, then they, then they pop, pop another cork back in and then they let it sit. And yet, I don't know if you've ever heard of pet gnats, have you ever heard of pet naturals? No. 
They are, yeah, they are, uh, it's, a, it's a wine that's done in the natural process and they usually go through a one and a half fermentation. So it's not quite as bubbly as this, but you still get some of those bubbles. It's not as expensive and they are, they're really just natural, t very natural tasting wines. But what's important is um, all of that fermentation, the, there's no added carbonation. There's mm -hmm. no, it's not like the airstream where you're pumping air into it. The process of the grapes fermenting and the way that the winemakers and the vintners do it actually creates that, that carbonation or sparkle. It's a natural carbonation. It's naturally, it's naturally done through, through the through fermentation. fermentation. Yeah. Yep. I've already learned so much. I know. I'm like trying to write notes maybe now. <laughs> Um, have you guys watched Emily in Paris yet? Paige, yeah, that was what I was just going to say. <laughs> so if you haven't watched it, the I mean, literally all it is is like she's at a champagne sparkling wine facility and they made a game out of it where they have to turn the bottles. Oh, and yeah. And part of like the wine tasting experience. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my God, I did actually see this. So <laughs> it rang a bell. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Do is it just certain wines that they cut the cork off of um, for whatever that process was called? Or did I get that wrong entirely? No, when you degorge it, that's for if it's been doubly fermented. When it goes to that double fermentation, the dead yeast cells uh, end up settling in the neck of the bottle. So they have to remove it. And that's when they put the final cap on it, final um, cork in. Cool. How long can that be in the fermentation process? Like what's the longest that it would be aged for? Um, it's, yeah, I, yeah it just, it varies maybe up to two years. I think it's a fairly quick process. Um, once it's for the, for the fermentation, then once it's bottled, it can be, you know, the final product can be bought aged for longer, but and it, the, and it depends on what wine it is. For example, whenever you're in, um, champagne, the traditional grape that's used is Chardonnay or Pinot Noir. Those are the two main grapes that they use. Um, you can have different grapes for, um, to make rosés, for proseccos, it just depends on what what style the winemaker wants it to be. And in the old world, which would be Italy um, and France, the the and Spain. And Spain, Italy, France, and Spain are the three big old worlds. But the but the grape, where the grape is grown, that's how the the wine is known. So, like you you guys were um, saying, you can't champagne is only produced in that champagne region and that's how it gets that name and that's that's very important because it, that's how they designate their, their growing areas so in say provence what the growing area is not chardonnay it's it's different grapes and so you end up with with different it's gamay you end up with it with a sparkling made from pinot noir or gamay or that that grape so it's different depending on where it's grown, but the sparkling method can be done on pretty much any grape. Mm -hmm. It's just traditionally the ones that, that, that turn out the best is the ones that are used. Yeah. I didn't know you could use like red, traditionally red grapes to create sparkling until I did a wine tour this summer and I had one of those and it was probably my favorite. It was a Pinot Noir um, grape that they used. Uh, it has a really cool flavor. I don't know. It's a little different than the traditional like white champagne. Then the, it tastes very different than the Chardonnay. I yeah. I love a great um, Pinot Noir sparkling. 
It's got like a little more, I don't know, a little more depth to it. I don't know if that's probably not the right word to use. No, that sounds, it has, right, they are the the different aromas. You have primary, secondary, and tertiary. And whenever you get to the tertiary, then yes, you are going to get more out of it. Have you guys ever been to Champagne, France? I'm just curious before. No, it's on our bucket list. Okay. I know it's on mine too. I went... I went to um, Paris a few times, but I had never made it to Champagne. But is it actually true that unless it's from Champagne, you can't actually call it Champagne or market it? It has to be like Champagne, like a J sound? No, no, no. It, 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 anywhere else in France, it's Cremant. Um, if it's C-R-E-M-A-N-T, which is essentially sparkling wine. Um, just not produced in the Champagne region. In order to have that, a- again, what I was saying just a second ago was in, in the old world, where the grape is grown is how it's allowed to be named. So a Chianti is grown in the Chianti region of Italy. Um, but it's a Sangiovese grape. Right, but but they know it based on where it's grown. So Champagne are the grape that the wines that are made from that are, are from the grapes that are grown there. Like Sandy said, it's generally Chardonnay grapes, but it's gets well, to and be Pinot, and it Pinot. depends. There's like six different grapes I think they can use. But it gets to be known as Champagne because it was made in that region. So it's not in, in America, New World wines are known by the grapes. So when you go and you buy in America, you buy a Chardonnay. You're buying the varietal. You're buying the grape mm-hmm. name. That's even Australia started doing um, does that too, and it's a little bit. It makes it sound weird because you. It's it it's harder for Americans to understand. Okay, if I'm going to get do, whenever I ask for a Burgundy, well, what am I going to get? Well, you're going to get a Pinot Noir. But some people, you know, they don't know if they want a Pinot Noir from the old world. They don't necessarily know that they have to ask for a Burgundy or a Bordeaux. Usually, if you want a um, a Bordeaux, you you're going to get a Cabernet Sauvignon. So it ends up, but people that live there know what those designations What's grown are in those areas, so they know what they're getting because it's mm-hmm. inherent. Yeah, I never understood that it was like the region for all these different places. Like I knew about Champagne, France, but I didn't know the other ones that you had mentioned too are very known for those regions. And like you said, Spain, and we have um, what was the other one you had said? Chianti. Yeah. I learned- I learned about Chianti when I went to Italy two years ago now, I think. And now I only buy the Chianti with the black rooster on it because it's legit. (laughs) And that's, well, that's because that's the DOCG. That's the, the highest level. They have even different levels, even whenever you, so once you get to Chianti, then you may have three different levels of quality of wine. So it gets even more complicated. There's a lot to that label that you have to know and be able to break down in order to really know what you're getting. I'm going to have to re-listen to our own episode so I can write down all these tips because I already (laughs) feel like I'm on brain overload. Oh, no. A great episode on sparkling wine specifically um, that we we, and we tried a Cremant. A cava mm-hmm. and a prosecco, I believe. A lot of people really cava is just starting to come into its own. I personally think that it's going to start to overcome the uh, prosecco because right now, you know, a lot of people, oh, I love prosecco, I love prosecco. It's kind of like go try a cava. Which, okay. speaking of cava, let's go ahead and pour this so that we can get you guys' opinion on this too. I personally love cavas because I like the earthiness mm-hmm. of a wine and 
these tend to be have that very earthy feel and smell. It it also has those same fine looking bubbles and it's very light in color. I think there's more, but it has more effervescence to me than the. Than oh, the it smells completely did. different. It, does. it completely smells different. Now I know that you've already opened the bottle, but do you have any tips for people who are getting ready to possibly open their own sparkling wine or champagne bottle as a way to get it open easier without hurting their thumbs like I did today? Yes. Um, Um, it can be very, very dangerous to open up one of these. I was opening up a sparkling wine the other week and my, my little trick that I do, and I, I am not a sommelier. So this is, this is my trick. This is Sandy's trick. I take a, um, a dishcloth after I open the cage and I put the dishcloth on top, hold my hand over it because that cork can come off at any time. I know I just barely put my hand down on the cork last weekend and it, and it came right off. So you need to be able to have a way to capture it just in case it does. So, um, I, I usually have a dishcloth on it. You hold it by the neck and you twist the bottle, not the cork. So you mean it's not supposed to explode all over your kitchen? No, and it's with my husband. (laughs) And it's supposed to be as silent as the queen's fart, is what they (laughs) say. It's not supposed supposed to make a pop. No, we all love Mm -hmm. that pop, and it's like boom. But that's it's not. But that's considered that's considered um, uncouth to make a pop. Well, I was very uncouth earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us? How do you, can you, um, whenever I try to keep sparkling wine, I always end up with this problem where I'll put a stopper in it, which is probably bad because of the carbonation. And so I've almost had it like blow up in my face, like when you pull it out of the refrigerator and because the pressure has built up and for some reason I stick my face right over it. Do you, is there a way you can like either recarbonate it or is there a good way to store you Sparkle can't, wine after you can't you open recarbonate it. it. We have a wine saver product that uh, it's a vacuum seal essentially, and it has a rubberized thing that you put into the neck of the bottle, rubberized and then you cork, cork and then you um, and a plunger and a plunger, and you suck the air out of it. Um, but they actually have one that has that cage that you kind of can re. It re- like clips back on so it won't accidentally pop off. Right. And it and it and it also creates that that cover so it seals it back because what you don't want is to have the air escape out once you get it um, resealed. So uh, it, there are products out there that can help you with it. My thought on sparkling wine is it's never going to taste as good as when you first open it. And you might as well just plan on making sure that you can finish the bottle. That's that's my style. <laughs> I, like that. I like that tip. Uh, I actually have a, it's the rabbit um, wine opener and the saver on my Christmas list. It's like $75, but I'm going to just go for it and see if someone gets it for me because I need to be able to store my stuff properly. Mm. It does. The, the vacuum sealer is very um the va- yeah, the have. vacuum yeah. sealer is good. And I think you can get it for $15, $20 on, on Amazon. Amazon. Not, yeah, that's on our, our products we love page. Mm-hmm. If people are looking and checking out for those things, it's it's. And it's a, that's a lifesaver because you definitely can, I think you can extend the bottle of wine by uh, maybe a week. Um, and it does. You can actually hear it whenever you pop it open. If you get a good seal on it, it definitely works. So, ladies, what is the best sparkling wine you've ever had? 
So my favorite on the show that we've had, because we've had a lot, um, that uh, sparkling wine is one that everybody wants to try and wants us to talk about. Um, we had a Spanish cava, uh, I believe is what it was called. I can't quite remember. It's a beautiful green bottle and it has the silver, um, it almost looks like a crown on the bottom of the um, on the neck. On, it's, oh no, it's on the it's on foot. The bottom, it's on it's, the foot. Mm. That's right. It's on the foot, and it's it's just real. It's a really cool looking bottle. But it also was the best. It's a cava. It's the best that we've had. Our best experience in sparkling with the show. And it so, was fair, fairly inexpensive, like twenty five dollars. I think it's under thirty, but it's close to that thirty dollar oh, mark. Is it close which, to if you're 30? looking for a good holiday New Year's Eve splurge, that I would one hundred percent recommend. That it's really good. As far as trying to find your bottles, how do you guys determine what types you want to buy? Like I always, I know you're not supposed to, but I always go by the the image because I'm a designer and I appreciate those things. Um, but do you use like an app or do you just kind of go with the regions? What's your game plan when you go shopping? So all of that. Yeah, we have an app. We know going in um, what area. Generally, I, I try not to buy now just blind. Um, we do what if, if I know I want to buy, say, a Pinot Noir, and I will look at what area I might want that from if I want to try Oregon, which is a well-known American area for Pinot Noir. Um, I, I will look and, and make sure that I know that I'm looking for this specific area in Oregon as a, the growing region, and then maybe look for makers that have that. Sandy? Uh, that's exactly right. Generally, I do know if I want, I usually drink wine with dinner. So that's kind of what my, my thought process is, is what is the food? What wine would go well with that food? I know um, one time I, my husband was like, what, what grape do you want? to have with dinner, which wine? I said, let's do a Pinot. And he said, but I don't know exactly what to do. So I said, go find a Russian River Valley Pinot Noir, and you should be, you should be able to find a good one for that under um, $25. And he said, that's what I did. He said, I walked in, looked, went into the liquor store, looked for the Pinot Noir, knew it was Russian River Valley, which is um, in California. And he said, sure enough, came home, opened it up, and it was good because we knew that that's where a lot of great pinots come out of. Yeah. And we actually did a whole episode um, called How to Make the Most of Your Wine Store Visit. That was episode four of Wines to Find. And it was one of our most popular ones. The um, we do Once we hone in on a region or an area and then a bottle at the store, we have an app called Wine Searcher that will take a picture. I will look and see. Wine Searcher or Vivino. Those are two very good apps. Yeah. And we look and see what other people might have said. If I can find somebody whose palate matches mine in the review that I know. And I... I that episode is a good one to to listen to for all of our I'm like a huge wine tasting person everywhere I go for traveling if it's Washington California Michigan Minnesota wherever I've been I know that doesn't sound like a lot of places but wherever I've been I go to wineries as much as I can um what is your go-to or favorite winery that you've been to Oh, we're going to have to give the pat answer that everybody says to us when we ask that question. That's like picking your favorite child and you can't do that. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> we have had some awesome experiences and wonderful times. And we, um, there are some that we could highlight um, to you. They have one off top ahead. Or, um, well, this is even prior to wines to find. I did a tasting in a wine cave at Quintessa, which was pretty phenomenal. 
uh, like a wine cave, like you were in mm-hmm. like a legit cave. Yes. Did, you, did they use the cave for storing them? That's well, you go down into the cave where they hold, where they house the barrels. They show it, show you where they house everything. So it's in the side of the hill. And then in one of the rooms off the, off of there, which is, you know, it's cold. It's dug out into the side of the hill. And that's where we had our wine tasting where they would bring the um, charcuterie in and taste their wines. Can I ask where Quintessa is? It's in Napa Valley. Oh, that's awesome. Um, my husband for our anniversary, well, he got to go on this trip to Napa without me before I even got to go. I was so upset. May have even cried a little bit. He went to Jarvis Estate in mm-hmm. Napa. Um, and that one was, I think it was a cave wine winery as well. So I was wondering if it was like near the same area. Several of them have them. If they have a hill, they usually have a cave. Mm-hmm. And Napa, geographically, isn't very large of an area, and it's it's just chock full of wineries, which mm-hmm. is so much fun. <laughs> I was in San Francisco last year, and I was trying to convince my family to just take the two-hour trip to go to Napa, because I'm like, it's really not that far, but they they kind of didn't want to skip the day. So I was I have not been yet, but it is on my list, and it must be done. So. <laughs> Well, you know, they really need the dollars now, and you can, if you can get there, they, it, it, we went this year and felt like the red carpet was just rolled out because, and we're spoiled now because in the, we were there in the middle of, of one of the fire instances and coronavirus. So there weren't a lot of other people um, there. And so we felt like we were queens of napa valley getting (laughs) chauffeured around and had a great experience i would definitely recommend those folks are struggling so if if you can they they need those travel dollars uh i learned about flights wine flights a while back do you ever do a wine flight with sparkling from year to year and kind of taste the differences not with sparkling we've done um we've done well, so it's, I think we're talking about two different things. So a uh, flight is where you get like a smaller, generally it's just a sample. A it's sample like a size. tasting, like um, Ooh, two ounce size. size. Yeah. So vertical. It's like vertical, right. Yes. So yes. So generally speaking, champagne and sparkling wines are, are um, non-vintage. Not, they can, well, they can have vintage, they but can, they cannot. But um, most, most of the, the lower level under, uh, you know, these are non-vintage. Are going to be non-vintage, which is just is to say that they might have some juice from another harvest or previous harvest, or they're not looking at just making it from this specific year. And so you wouldn't do a vertical, generally speaking, with sparkling. But with uh, we have done that with other varietals, and it, it's it is very fun. To it's do. amazing, particularly with um, boutique wineries and your winemakers really trying to showcase the grape and what it's done for that season showcasing the between the weather and how the grape is grown, you can definitely tell a difference um, per, per vintage. Can you guys tell me, so I just forgot that, like, Katie, I think you have a cava, um, but I think yours is different than mine. I have the brute cava, and then you have something else, right? I have, like, grand selection, probably. Um, so brute tends to mean when it's on a champagne, it's drier. Um, so, and I don't know enough about the grand selection one to know if it's what level it is, if it's extra brute, um, or not. But when you see, when you see, um, 
it, it and that goes to what you like. So, and we didn't talk about this in terms of, of what you guys are tasting and what you like. So to break it down, we, we tasted, Sandy and I both have two in front of us and we tried the Prosecco. The Prosecco was very sweet to me. Um, it's, I've had other Proseccos that aren't as sweet and, um, that ha, ha, are a little bit more refined. So this would not be one that I would revisit because of the, the sweet factor. But if you like a sweet wine and you don't like that sparkle, a lot of people don't like that fizz, then this would be one that you might would go to as you would like it because you like a sweeter wine and you don't want that tickling in your nose and mouth. Um, in contrast, this, uh, the Cava it, it had, was more fine. It had more of that effervescence, which I like. I really like it to really sparkle and I like it to be drier. So when we, it, 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 it to me had more aromas, more of that, um, earthiness to it, some more minerality when we, when we smelled it. So it just, uh, suited my palate more. So it, it really depends on what you like when you go into a store. So if you like a sweet wine and you go get the extra brute, there's pretty much a guarantee you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> I feel like I have to note that doesn't the the Prosecco has a really cool bottle. It kind of looked really sparkly, didn't mm-hmm. it? It was like cut diamonds. It looks like yes. the New Year's Eve ball. It does. Yes. It looks perfect for the holidays. So I'm oh. probably going to have some leftover sparkling wine that I have to store. But for tomorrow, what would you recommend if you had to do a brute with like a mixed drink? Like I always go to mimosas as a, a guaranteed but is there any other ones that you would suggest mixing with that type of wine? This is right up Michelle's alley. She's going, let me do this one. Yeah. So <laughs> I love a champagne cocktail. And um, so we do them all the time. I love them with tailgating and we do all kinds of fun stuff. In fact, we're, we um, opened the Prosecco before we did this. And like we had to get chased out of the kitchen because we were in there doing a reel um, to show our what we're going to be serving on Thanksgiving or our holiday um cocktail for this year but generally speaking it, it's I do whatever is seasonal so um, right now because it's chili there's the gingerbread spiced rum there's the apple spiced rum there's caramel rum that you can do so I will do a fun a vodka sorry caramel vodka I will do a fun liqueur type thing uh, mixed with a juice of some kind cranberry apple cider orange juice or you know, if you like pineapple juice or mix your juices, even if you want to get really crazy and then top it off with sparkling wine and, um, pretty much just have fun with it. Yeah. I'm going to be looking at that story for those recipes because that sounds delicious. (laughs) We, um, did one that Michelle did for just fall and it is, it was dipped in caramel for the rim. Uh You need to check that one out. That one was a fun one. Ooh. I remember uh, last fall I was up north and they had a sparkling hard cider mix and they had caramel on the edges. Oh, guys, it was so good. I need to do that as well. (laughs) Something about like mixed drinks and the holidays, I think just mix like really well and, you know, keeps it interesting. (laughs) Michelle will even throw a a whole the cranberries, the fresh cranberries in there. And that makes it even more festive too. Mm -hmm. Really very pretty. You could even put a mint sprig in it. Rosemary, even if you want to go Mm -hmm. with the savory, all kinds of fun stuff. That's perfect for coming up to the holidays. Mm. 
Last holiday season, I was pregnant, so I am very, very excited to indulge in my holiday-themed drinks this year. Unfortunately, I feel like Corona is putting a little bit of a damper on it, but I'm going to make the best of it, that's for sure. <laughs> that's we're, all we're doing this year. <laughs> were the alcohol-free ones, like, okay, though, Katie? Um, I think I tried one, and it wasn't horrible, but... I I don't think I had any of the alcohol-free ones even until I was like maybe five months. And at that point, I feel like I forgot what wine tasted like. So I had Mike taste it and he was like, mm, it's okay. But I think, I don't know, it, it was a good pseudo. Yeah, it fills the void a little bit maybe. but Exactly. Yeah. We had one question asking what are the most common flavors added to sparkling wine? Is that a thing? Do people add flavors? Did you mean like when you make a cocktail? On some of the like Prosecco bottles or whatever where it's like this has hints of apple or pear. Oh, or things okay. Like that. That's yeah. with that's any, that, that's actually the description of any wine. Whenever you're drinking wine, you feel like you should be um, let's take a, a Pinot Noir. Sometimes it seems like you should be eating a strawberry and it's just because of how much, um, how much it smells like a strawberry, how much it tastes like a strawberry, but there's no strawberry anywhere to be found. It's only made from grapes. And that generally is what, um, how people describe it. For example, this says that it's citrus. So it had pears and apricots in it too. Well, there are no pears and apricots in this, in this wine. It's all just grapes, just the way, um, the way that the grapes flavor profile comes across reminds you has those essence of those, of those other fruits. Or it could not even just fruit. Sometimes it even's tobacco and um, spices. There's, there's, there's certain. Um, we have a fun kit that um, has the the typical aromas and flavors uh, that are found in red wine, um, and there it's basically like essential oils, so that you can kind of train your nose to pull out those. Common. Cinnamon and licorice mm -hmm. and all sorts of different flavors. And on the back of the bottles, they will generally give you an idea as far as what those, what it, what the flavors you might anticipate in getting. Right. But wine is subjective. So just because somebody might smell it or taste it doesn't mean somebody else will. But so there are some common elements in what uh, someone who is training to be a psalm or who uh, wants to know more, like we want to grow our palate. So we got that kit because I wanted to know, okay, what does violet smell like? And, and how can, how can I sniff it in this vial and then go and smell it in a wine that's described that way and pull out that characteristic. And that doesn't mean that they put violet petals in the wine as, as it was fermenting and aging. It just means that it, throughout that process, that characteristic somehow, even though it's just grapes, came to be a part of the flavor profile of that wine. And that's what how somebody describes it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So is there no like wrong answer as far as smelling? Like, there's, what? No, there's no wrong answer. No. We had one of our guests said there are only two types of wines. There are yummy wines and there are yucky wines. <laughs> I like that person. Yeah. I remember I was at a winery this last fall too. And the woman was like, oh, what flavor profiles do you smell? And I was saying a couple ones like pears and whatever. And she's like, no, that's that's wrong. I'm like, oh, no, you can't okay. be wrong. <laughs> okay, good. No, no. 
You're wrong about what you like, Paige. Yeah, it's subjective now that I know this. It's all good. Do you guys, since the holidays are coming up um, and people who like wine might be looking for gifts and things, do you have any wine books that you recommend? Like any favorites or do you not? Are you all about the apps now? I love a book. Subscription boxes. Oh, a subscription box. Um, oh, I don't have. Yeah, that. I, we don't have that. But I, we, I, I have a couple of good um, books. One of my favorites is Wine Folly, just because it's great for beginners. You um, look at it, and it's very visual. She's also on Instagram. She, she's great. Madeline Puckett. Madeline Puckett. Yes, she's, a, and you can follow her on Insta too. Um, I, I like. Uh, we've got. We have so many, <laughs> um, but there, Wine for Dummies is one that I picked up um, at the used bookstore. And then there's, if you want to really geek out the wine really, Bible, the wine Bible. Yeah. So and there's a broad spectrum, just like with, with everything. So it depends on where, where you're, where you are in on, your journey, in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. I bought the wine Foley. Um, I think it was like the the larger edition one. It's the Magnum the, edition. I think that's her, la yeah. her latest one. Yes. Yeah. It's like black. It's really heavy. Yeah. Um, Cause I thought I was like going to learn so much. And I, I forced myself to sit down and like read a couple pages a night so I could like study. And then I kind of gave up. So I need to pick it back up this holiday for sure. <laughs> I, I, think the, I think that is easier whenever you're almost when you're tasting, let's say you get a Grenache. And you want to, and you taste it and you say, okay, what does, what am I supposed to be tasting? And then you open up the page to look at what Grenache is supposed to be like. Or if you're going, I don't even know what she's saying. What is a Grenache? So, so well, that, and it depends on what information, what you geek out on. Like, yeah. Because everybody geeks out on different things. If you geek out on knowing the, the, where the terroir and where it was grown and what, what, um, what region it might be and the history of that region, then there's a book for that. What the vineyard dog's name is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, so it just depends on what kind of information you want it, and, um, there's, there's just so many resources out there. It, it, it's just like the wine. It, it, it really, we can't tell you what you might like. You'd have to figure out for yourself what information you want to gather and then kind of steer yourself towards those resources. Mm -hmm. So I might be bringing my wine fully with me to my next wine tasting, <laughs> just pulling it out and learning as I go. I, well, I, I do. I think that it's, I mean, there's different ways when you drink. You either drink just because you're drinking or you're drinking for an educational purpose. Mm -hmm. Or you might want to geek or out on the Or even the first pairings. two minutes. Yeah. But you I'd may like want to say we do both, but I think most of the time we just drink to drink. Right, guys? Mm -hmm. Because it tastes good. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to speak for all of us because I know we all have the same thought is we've learned a ton from you. Um, I think, I mean, just in general about wine, but definitely about sparkling wine. So thank you in advance. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you for having us. Yes, we really appreciate it. Getting to know you guys. Yeah, this was I a lot of fun. Thank you so much for all the knowledge that you bestowed upon us. Well, and again, we did do that that whole episode on sparkling wine. So if you feel like you just want to hear us talk more about wine, check that episode out. I think it's episode 31 I don't remember. of Wines yeah. to Find. Yeah. With a yeah. notebook in hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the best way, what we feel is just try. Try more. That's Yeah. yeah. If, the only way you're going to learn is really just drink lots of wine. Yeah. That's right. <laughs>
If that's the homework we have to leave with, I think we're good. (laughs) Yep, that's That's your homework. Tell all the listeners, just drink all the wine. Just keep on trying until you find your favorite. Yeah. I think you actually have to get a wine advent calendar for Christmas. That will help you try all the wines. (laughs) I got the chocolate and the cheese advent calendars. I did not get the wine one. (laughs) Ooh, I would like that one, too. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We thought that sparkling wines would be fitting today since the holidays are approaching quickly, and we wanted to give you some fun recommendations for celebration drinks. We know both. We know the holidays look a little bit different this year, but whether you're celebrating from near or virtually from afar, all of these wines that we talked about today would make great. We hope you picked up the perfect dinner table icebreaker. Don't forget to follow our new friends, Wines to Find, for more on all things wine and maybe some fun holiday drink ideas. Cheers. 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 Thank you for listening to Drunken Marketing. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the ridiculously hilarious and real marketing experiences from the Wine and Whiteboards team. If you haven't checked out our full-length episodes, pour yourself a glass of your favorite vino and join us. We share marketing tips and design tips on everything from content marketing to website redesign and so much more. Wondering how you can support the show? If you love our podcast, leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe. Share it with your friends, family, enemies, or whoever else you think would enjoy the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're always looking for new listeners to add to our wolf pack. <laughs> 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 <laughs>